episode 96 of the Women's Six podcast, official podcast at BehindTheBookPass.com. I'm your host site expert, Adam McGee, and joining me this week, as usual, is Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. How's your week been? Fine. <laughs> I, I, I expected some... Thing more to your answer than that? You, I mean, you were at you were at the the game on Friday against the Heat. Was that it your was. first? Was that your first game in person this year? Yes, it was. That's on the low end for you. So, what, what was the feeling of watching these books against what's kind of an NBA team in the flesh? Um, it, it was a weird game. Um, I, I we came a little late, my friends and I. Um, but one of the first plays I saw was Giannis's, not one of the first plays, like he, like three straight scores of Giannis's uh, dunks that were just ridiculous. Um, but overall, it was just a weird game. There's there's a lot of there's thon time. Um, I don't know. It was, yeah, I I, it's, I don't know how to say it other than it was a weird game. Other than me yelling. Uh, and Silly Babbitt when Jabari had the ball late. I just wanted to, uh, he, yeah, I wanted that to happen. And it did, to a degree. Did anyone recognize your voice while you were shouting? I mean, called Hero, did you? I did. <laughs> no. <laughs> no one did, but I did, I did think about it again every once in a while. For, I don't know, that, that seems very ego centric of me but no, i did yell there was a was there a moment though where you were going to yell something you thought better of it no just no in case? i did think about it after i yelled it because there was a jack bauer and i yelled out jack bauer wow and, yes i mean that's the um, giveaway that's just no doubt in anyone's that's mind not a, yeah, that, that's as plain as day um i also i think i yelled out savvy okay um there were a few savvy so you basically live tweeted with your mouth so, yeah, to, what, to a degree. But yeah. did, did you describe like an Al Roker gif or I did not describe an Al Roker gif. Um, nor did I uh, wear a blazer under a hoodie, or I mean, or a hoodie huh. under a blazer. That would have been now. Different. That's now. That's yeah. That would be much that's a, more. That's an even bolder fashion statement. <laughs> that would be more controversial. Um, but no, luckily. Uh, I was, I've hated my face to the world. I don't know. <laughs> uh, when, when just all we can say is 
when you're at books games if you're listening if you're a regular attendee at the BMO Harris Bradley Centre you've got to be listening out for the trademark Jordan Tresky tropes therein lies the game that's when you that's a true victory if it's, anybody it's really if you hear Jack Bauer being shouted out at a books game <laughs> and I, I think I'm a good yeller too I think I could. I think it's. I'm a very. Does your voice travel? Uh, yes. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe so. It's. I mean, it depends on where it is. I was. uh, I was in the upper bowl, but just barely. I was like, there's like the tunnel comes out. There's like these three rows where it kind of sinks in. I was in like those rows. I I contemplated making a poster that did say the words Jack Bauer in it. Give me a Jack Bauer. It's always next time. Yeah. I did that at a base. So I know we're way off track, but just to put it this, this is what the people are here for. So this is like most of our listeners' dreams start <laughs> That's the podcast. True. I did bring a. This is probably one of my finer moments in my adult life. I did bring a poster that that had the words or give me a bulk or not not give me a bulk, but I wrote down bulk on a poster to a Brewer game, and uh, there was a bulk in that game. You don't understand baseball. Uh, it's completely over my head. Yeah, uh, it's a baseball thing where if the pitcher moves, makes a motion to pitch the ball and then turns away, that is a balk. If he does not throw the it's ball, it's kind of like a fake. It's kind of like a fake, but it's a it's has it can't be within motion. Like you know, like a the wind up. Yeah, right. Call it. You you can pick off players at bases and stuff like that, but you cannot do it in a wind up motion okay yeah so, so this is this is we we said it was episode 96 of seven six podcast this is really episode one of jordan tresky explains baseball oh no um <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what when are we gonna this is really a teaser what day can people expect that in their itunes feeds from now on um <clears throat> What was my answer last week? June 17th, 2023. (laughs) I think that's what I said. We'll move on, though, to real stuff. Not that none of Jordan's anecdotes are real. We've never been burned by that one before. But the Bucks had an eventful, in typical Milwaukee Bucks fashion, week. And with that, there's a few things that... I guess jumped out to us that we want to talk about something that's a little bit different to some of what we've done of late and in some ways we'll tie into it as well in a week where the books beat the Spurs which I mean we didn't see that coming remember this time last week when we we recorded when we left you we were just <laughs> coming off the back of that loss to the Wizards and Jason Kidd's post-game interview which, you know, may, may have done the trick. They beat the Spurs next night out on the road. Hard to complain with that one. Then the book's gone. They beat the... I, don't, I mean, I, the, I don't know what the Heat are anymore, really, but they're not good. They're more... Um, I, I would equate it to the actual movie Heat, where, you know, they're planning that big heist and everything's going well. And it's... The Heat now are like the last like act of the movie Heat, where they're on the run and just trying to figure out where to go. That is the Miami Heat, if they were the movie Heat. Yeah, but they're like that without like 
they're like that if uh, for it's a, it's like a very a large wounded... portion of that film if Al Pacino or Robert De Niro had just like left or yes. got injured. Yeah. Yeah, now it's instead of like Val Kilmer, Val Kilmer's safely out now it's like uh, you know, uh Willie Reed, even though he did play that night. James Johnson's running amok with playing point center, which I mean, the man has a, a 20-0 professional kickboxing record. What can you... There's not a lot to dispute there. Yeah. And then, to finish the week off, <laughs> the Bucks went to Atlanta for an early start. And they fell foul to the Atlanta Hawks. We'll touch on all of those games throughout, as well as a whole lot more. But the first big topic we want to talk about this week... Big. Is the book Big bench. The Bucks still currently have one of the best benches in the NBA, although there are times where you'd be forgiven for feeling that's not the case. First of all, and I guess importantly, considering how the Bucks went last year, they're scoring well, although that has dropped off pretty significantly. Um, they're, the bench is scoring 37.7 points per game, which is now good for 10th best in the NBA. We had quite a sustained spell where they were actually first for a while and then they were sort of in around the top three for quite a long spell as well so that has been a drop off um still on most other metrics they're holding up pretty well number one bench in the nba in three point percentage number four bench in the nba in field goal percentage they have been very effective and they've been better defensively than you would necessarily have anticipated too. I mean, they're the third best bench defensively in the NBA, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you look at the personnel. But it's something we've touched on throughout the season and how this kind of... I know the dynamics have come together for a whole host of different types of personalities, players... It's all kind of worked, and the books have got something out of it that they didn't really have before. Saying that, in the last week or so, I guess that's not even fair. It's going, it's going back further, and it's, it's sort of going back to like the, the starting lineup change. Yeah, which I feel I'd, I'd go even further. I think it goes back to just after Christmas when Beasley missed three games with injury, maybe a couple more. I think that's the moment where the bench, it was forced. Something that was working really, really well was forced to change in some form. Then, obviously, Brogdon moving to the starting lineup, um, which still may not be a permanent thing. But for what has been the time since, that's further disrupted the bench. We've had Toledovic injured. We've had Toledovic logging DMPs. We've had Ton Maker coming in and playing effective minutes in San Antonio in real game time against the Spurs. We've had Rashad Vaughn suddenly resurface to hit a couple of field goals on Sunday. Steve, today, Steve Novak scored, finally. <laughs> Steve Novak did score. It feels a while ago now, but he did. He scored in back-to-back games, if I remember correctly. Yep. And with <laughs> all of this, the very clear defined shape that was on the bench earlier in the year when it was not that it's not working now but when it was working like a really well oiled machine has kind of changed up a little bit and this has been something in our last two podcasts um, excluding our emergency Yanis one 
we have spoken about how if the books were to consider making moves at the starting lineup or if they were to go out and do it as they have at least temporarily done with Brogdon may yet still do with Monroe one of our big talking points uh, reservations definitely in my case but just something that I think needs to factor into that more than just let's get the five best players out on the floor was how does this affect the bench that has been a big part of why the books have held things together without Chris Middleton and it's starting to get to a point where, although it still kind of ticks over, you're, I'm at least wondering whether they're getting the most out of it. Do you get that feeling, although the bench, you're still getting big performances from players? I mean, Beasy against the Spurs was a very notable one, although when Yanis sort of going out injured at the half, saying it was just sort of a bench, it wasn't his regular kind of bench cameo. But... There have been appearances like that from bench guys, but does it to you feel like the whole unit is clicking a little bit less than we saw earlier in the season? I would say it has. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I know it's it's hard to classify Beasley's just uh, uh, ridiculous game on Tuesday last week as a bench saving performance or anything like that or anything bench related like you said because he did technically start the second half um but then again you had a game like the wizards game even though it was cut short for him he was there might have been a good chance that they had at least made it a closer game or maybe made it more interesting had beasley not gotten hurt that game who knows but um but yeah again i think brogdon going to the starting lineup and then obviously delhi had was out for a few more games, so you have more of Jason Terry, you have, you know, more of a tighter rotation in those games, unless, you know, Miles Plumlee makes his cameo and may, tries to attempt a jump hook to spite me for whatever reason. Um, <laughs> we didn't get one of them in the Hawks game, did we? No, I was paying attention for it, and it did not happen. He just looked very tired to me. It was my only... My only takeaway was that Plumlee looked really tired the whole time he was on the court, and when he came off, he looked exhausted, and I just, it's yeah. really weird to me. It's its just a weird scenario, and I think this is a little going off track, but just, like, recent stuff, actually, it's not really going off tra- track. If you, like, read anything, like, Thon-related, there was a good piece by Charles Gardner of the Journal Sentinel yesterday about Thon um, getting time and... There's he keeps there's this nugget of like information that he keeps talking about how you know practices one on one with Miles Plumlee. I think even I can't remember where it was, but there was some other article talking about Plumlee's role. Bethana is like credit to him for. Uh, was that a Charles Gardner piece on Plumlee a couple of weeks ago? Uh, maybe it's the only either... Plumlee piece I can think of. Or it could be uh, Gary Wolfel. I probably didn't read that. Yeah, but anyway, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just it is a it's a different bench, and obviously there have been moves, um, that have corresponded with it. There's you know Monroe playing, barring from today, or even the Heat game where he you know struggled a lot, missing a lot of bunnies. Monroe has been great for the majority of the season. He probably his best tear recently. 
uh, or most notable, like, you know, playing larger minutes. But it has, it is this weird thing. I think it kind of ties back to what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago with Jason Kidd and how much do you credit the bench coming back with having all these players to, you know, turn to um, and kind of have like, having like these specialist players. Because a lot of, obviously, they're on the bench for a reason. These guys are not complete players. They are more specialist players. Like Greg Monroe, even though his he has been a really great all-around player. Historically, he is a you know low post type of guy. He is plays down low. He he's averting from what we know from him. But aside from him, you know you have Mirza Toledovic, who's a gunner, three-point specialist. Michael Beasley, who is a get buckets specialist. If I just can put it that bluntly, I mean they there it's you know it's trying to find these combinations and there are games where you have it like today where you're everything's sore out of out of whack and it results in a second quarter performance like it does but there are other games where you know there are injuries that you have to deal with and sometimes you know there were bad quarters during that stretch when you know Delhi's out and it was probably like a nine-man rotation and you're going to start slow but then you'll have times where it picks back up and it kind of these weird runs, um, so I don't know. It I, I, it it has changed to put it succinctly. <laughs> like I feel the best example of this was uh, Greg Monroe didn't have a very good game tonight, and for the first time in a long time, he wasn't very good. Do you know, or do you want to take a guess at how many minutes him and Brogdon shared on court against the Hawks? Oh, how many minutes did he play overall? Uh, Greg Monroe played 20 minutes total. Brogdon played 26. Minutes? Wow. Um, I'll go six. Two. <sighs> wow. Like, I, I just don't quite know how to make sense of that. I, and this is the big worry where you split those two guys up and what they had going on the bench unit. But it was something at the same time that Jason Kidd had talked about. They wanted to find a way to maximize... We'd even seen early on, like, Monroe playing heavy minutes lows. Like, you're talking 36 minutes, 40 minutes to try and get on the floor with Brogdon as much as possible now. A part of this was Moose did get in some foul trouble, which is what saw Plumley arrive on the floor. But, I mean, he finished with four personal fouls. It wasn't, it wasn't as if that remained a really pressing issue throughout the entire game. It was more he had two fouls in the second quarter they needed to relieve him for a little bit of time yeah yeah and like you said foul trouble played into it overall he was pretty he was pretty brutal today he had a couple highlights like a nice pass to Giannis but it wasn't his best it wasn't any performance like a game like we saw against the Heat where he still played well on defensively from my perspective I mean there's been better games like that but even if, you know, shots are falling or he's getting, I think he had like 15 attempts that made five or something like that. Even if the efficiency isn't there, for most of the season, the defense has backed it up or even been a lot better than his offensive or the offensive part of his game. But today, I mean, it was just all around just pretty horrific. Well, I mean, he was efficient today. He shot 6 of 12 from the field, but... It was kind of like that was it, and there has been so much more to every aspect of his game, and it's just 
Like, last year he was efficient too. It's not like he was this horribly inefficient shooter or he didn't score. He did those things last year. He just didn't do anything else, and his effort wasn't necessarily there in all other departments. Like, on this occasion, one rebound, one rebound in 20 minutes is not enough for Greg Monroe. And particularly when the books are up against a team that has Paul Millsap, Dwight Howard as their two bigs if he's sort of going up against their starting unit you chances are you're going to be up against it rebounding so you really need everything from him and they didn't get that only one assist is really low and then I don't like to expect it from him but it's been such a staple of what he's done this season has been the likes of the steals the blocks just these hustle defensive plays zeros in both categories it just how many turnovers do you have by James? two turnovers uh. Like it, it just wasn't the same Greg Monroe we've seen recently. That could just be an off game, and that's fine. Um, but in reviewing that, I'd find it difficult to sort of not say, well, him and Brogdon didn't play much together. And for me, that kind of shines a light on just something that is a real danger. It's not necessarily a problem yet. It's not like there's anything wrong with some experimentation, but it's what they have to be wary of is... They had something that was really working well. They don't need to really get any silly ideas and mess with that. It's You've got to make adjustments when guys are injured or tired or whatever it is. But when you're a little bit closer to full health, which at the moment they're not that bad. Better than they have been over the last month or six weeks. I think you've got to kind of keep things as close to what you've set as the norm. Mirza Teletovic is the player that maybe intrigues me the most in this. Hashtag free Mirza Teletovic, first of all. Free Mirza is fine. We don't need the, the surname and the hashtag, too. No, we have to be very specific when it comes to our Mirzas. You don't want any other Mirza freed? Yeah. Okay. I mean, maybe there's some other mirrors that deserve to be free. Well, I, 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 I just I want to focus on a lot of it. <laughs> I'm sure there might be other mirrors that need freeing, but for now we will take it one at a time. <laughs> just go to a lot of it. So this is his second straight DMP. And against the Spurs, he only played... Four minutes? Four minutes, 50, so he's under five minutes. The games before that, he struggled in the Wizards game. Uh, he went 2 of 8 from the field. Prior to that, 3 of 5 against the Knicks. 4 of 10 against the Knicks. 3 of 7 against the Thunder. 2 of 6 against the Bulls. 2 of 4 against the Timberwolves. Uh, and then that's going back to his concussion. So, it's been noted he, he did miss... Against the Knicks, he missed a shot that I think we've touched on before. It wasn't a great play, and he got a lot of heat for that, although I don't think that was necessarily deserved. But really, prior to struggling against the Wizards, I mean, you're looking at a guy who was... very efficient for his previous six games. And there's kind of been... This shift in his role, and that's very, very unusual to me. I'm, I'm quite surprised by it. 
Can you wrap your head around this in any way? I guess the, the most obvious thing would be Michael Beasley's been playing really well, and they're both forwards. Beasley is probably most effective as a four. Toledovic is most effective as a four, and there's just not room for both guys. But saying that feels a little disingenuous to me when the Wizards game where he struggled okay, Giannis was out, but then that carried over into the Spurs game where he only played five minutes and a heavy load went on Beasley. Are you able to pick up on something where it makes sense that you're putting out a team that gets Rashad Vaughn minutes or gets Miles Plumley minutes and you're not finding a way to rotate things around and get Mirtz in there as well? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we, we kind of saw this earlier at one point. It wasn't injury-related or he had really a, like... He had a two-game... Uh, it was actually... He missed the Trailblazers' win, and then the Hawks' loss uh, in the Bradley Center, the four-point loss to the Hawks. Some mm. of the ones I think they blew a big lead, right, wasn't it? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was a big... Uh... Um, clutch game mark, black mark against them. But yeah, we it, we have seen this before, but now it's kind of coming in a bigger way where, like you said, there's been games where the Spurs game, he plays four minutes. They were not a very good four minutes um, from what I can remember. But then you have the Heat game where it wasn't really all that close. It got close. It was a closer score than it appeared but there was plenty of time for him to play but then you have Thon playing there was uh obviously some Terry minutes I mean, they're not playing the same position but you know what I mean they're Jason Kidd is going deep into his bench to play uh some guys um and then today you know obviously he didn't play at all but there's Plumley getting some minutes Vaughn getting some minutes so it's just kind of weird um that it's happening. And again, I think a lot of it is coming at the time where Michael Beasley has 28 points. Um, the Spurs, he, even the Wizards game, he had a better game than Mirza. It is this weird kind of like balancing act where you can't, obviously, you, it's probably, it's not ideal to play them both together, but they are one of these tandems that, you know, when Mirza has it going, he gets a lot of play time. There's been games like the Kings game, uh, the Wizards game, which they ended up losing. It was away, but he had like, you know, 28 points or something like that. Just was a big part of like keeping them into that game. And I don't know. I, I, I don't think it, obviously we could, you could chalk it up to him being ineffective, but the team, uh, according to NBA.com slash stats, I mean, he has a 6.9 net rating since coming back. So it's not like it's anything that's totally on him. Obviously, he hasn't had the best form or run since then. Or, you know, he's not the greatest defensive player, but the Bucks are still – that's a positive net rating. So they are still doing well when he's on the floor. Um, I know, it's just kind of weird. It's, it's one of these weird kind of combinations that you have to figure out. And obviously, that's not our decision. That's up to Jason Kidd, but it is weird, like, just – how do you determine which one goes, you know, gets more time than any other? I don't know. Well, I thought it was interesting the Hawks game because I felt in the fourth quarter when they were right 
kind of there within range and they just couldn't get anything to happen they just couldn't really get anywhere with it for me there was like a glaring strategy they could have gone to to try and change that up and if okay if you lose you lose i mean that's what happened by kind of playing it safe anyway but it was something that they first went to against the hawks during the year which is small ball which we thought yeah. i guess would become a bigger feature of what the books were doing or a much more regular weapon there are so and they've kind of just completely abandoned it even though it was successful whenever they bring it out i mean not only did they kind of have some inroads against mediocre teams they went toe-to-toe with the warriors in a close game down the stretch with that looking like something that was semi-sustainable which was a surprise to us but it worked against the hawks when the game was winding down they just couldn't really without even blocking a ton of shots just dwight howard was a problem they weren't having a lot of success it was quite crowded in the paint and they were looking to drive and that's one where you go okay we haven't played monroe a lot he hasn't been that effective uh plumley we tried that again we got nothing out of it henson hasn't been particularly great you know what we need to do? We need to actually go small and force the Hawks to say Dwight has to go out and cover a guy. He has to leave the paint or you're going to have an open shooter on the perimeter. And that's fine if that means that like Budenholzer very quickly hooks Dwight and matches up with a small lineup and goes Millsap at centre and you have a Millsap Mirza sort of matchup. You know, that's not a bad thing either because it changes the game and you're sort of playing it on more on your terms where i felt as they were trying to execute and make things happen late on dwight howard's presence was really just a problem for them they they just it wasn't even they were afraid but it was just quite congested even if they were looking to sort of move the ball or pass in and around the paint which the books like to do we know they still often have guys cutting and they look for sort of smart well-timed intricate passes to lead to open dunks open layups that wasn't happening. When those situations would arise, the paint was well guarded as it was, and the Hawks would very quickly be able to collapse two, three, sometimes four guys very, very tightly and deny any sort of real passing opportunities. I felt that was a case where it's like, you know what, Mirza here changes the game up, and it asks the question at least. If he comes in, you get him a quick three and he makes it, all of a sudden the Hawks have to respect that and go, you know what, all it takes is two more of those, and this is a tie game or whatever. That's where it's interesting for me. I feel Kid is experimenting very heavily with with who he's playing from his bench, but I feel the strategy side of it is very rigid and locked down. We're trying to just lock guys into specific roles when it won't necessarily suit, and we talked with this in terms of centers as well, how we often now see plays run for or true John Henson that if it was Greg Monroe you go okay that's a good idea but because Henson doesn't have Monroe's passing ability I guess even Monroe's jump shot even though Monroe's jump shot isn't always the most reliable it's a very different thing I feel that happens with the bench as well so that when Monroe goes out foul trouble and you need to give Henson some rest it's automatically right we gotta get Plumley out there and the same with if you're going to go, you're going sort of on, you're being very traditional about it. I'd personally like to see him 
you can use a lot of the same guys, but maybe experiment a little bit more with your approach or your style of play when a game isn't going your way. Because it's not always just, you know what, this one guy can come in and save us. You need to do something that creates opportunities for different players. He's gotten into a habit which, let's be honest, this isn't... This isn't something new for Jason Kidd, but where his bench is now running six, seven, eight deep. He's getting pretty close with seven deep. There's generally someone at the moment, it's Toledovic, who's not getting on the floor at all. Do you like that, or would you prefer five, six guys, obviously health permitting, foul trouble permitting, things like that? When the opportunity's there, would you like him to keep it a little bit tighter and not be afraid to be like, Rashad Vaughn, you haven't played well recently. You're not giving us much on the floor. You're a DMP. The same goes for Plumley. Is there this need for him to kind of give everyone a shot to change it? Mm. I guess part of this also, I guess, say this comes with a different season than what we thought we were coming into because Yanis and Jabari in particular have made such massive strides. Greg Monroe is a different guy who we th- than we thought he was going to be. Malcolm Brogdon is a better contributor than you probably would have got out of 90% of point guard options in the free agency market. Tony so, Snell's a bitter fit, or bit right. better fit than McCurr and Williams. So all of a sudden you've got a team who... Like right now, it would be a disappointment for everyone if something happened that they tailed off and missed the playoffs. It would be a big disappointment. Yes. And without sort of making ambitions loftier or getting to that from there, that's changed things. So you're a good team, and they've shown they're a good team. They've beaten the Spurs. They've beaten the Cavs. Could have beaten the Warriors. They, I'm pretty sure they've other sort of signature wins, I'm forgetting. Well, they've had you know big blots too. I mean... Uh, all the Bulls games have been pretty lopsided. I mean... It's the only tiebreaker at the moment that looks like they'll have. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's a really tough question. I think, you know, if if you would compare the two seasons where the bench has been really good under Kidd... You know, that 14-15 season, the all-famous 541-41 season, I mean, that was he was going deep into that bench. I mean, and it was warranted. As we talked about many times with that season, at least personally, everybody was on a very even playing field. They weren't – we're not talking about any star players. Giannis wasn't where he was now, but there was a lot of – people filled their roles, and it was, you know, it's – Looking back at it now, it probably there were probably some games where it wouldn't have been ideal to, you know, do hockey substitutions necessarily with the bench unit or something like that. Maybe be more creative with staggering and all that stuff. But that team warranted the way it was playing for good stretches of that year of, you know, trusting in your bench. I mean, a lot of, that was a big reason why they were so successful that year. This year, it's a little bit different where – Obviously, as you mentioned, you know, to start this off, bench overall has been good. Recently, there have been changes to it where I'm sure if we, you know, compare it to where, you know, Christmas time or anything like that, or even 
with the defense kind of having a lot more question marks um, as of late. Pers- like as you know, I think there was a recent uh, article by John Schum of NBA.com talking about. I think at the time the Bucks were like the fifth worst defense in terms of defensive rating. That might be <laughs> that might be a little worse now after the Heat game and the Hawks game. I don't know, but um, uh, I don't know. I I really don't know. I think as promised. I mean. I was at the heat game. I was cheering for Thon. I, I got to see him block a shot, you know, get good run. But at the same time, there were still things that warranted that. You know, Giannis was still probably not 100%. Obviously, he wasn't 100% during the Spurs game. Um, but a game like today, even though foul trouble did come in, it's it's I don't know it's it's really weird I don't know if that is necessarily good I don't think a lot of it as we had talked about is just kind of getting consistency and continuity within the team and maybe that can show off in results um, and they're consistently a pretty forty one and forty one team or around there uh, this year but I don't know I, I would probably I think. I learned my lesson from saying like, oh yeah, you could run, you know, 10 deep or not 10 deep, but, you know, pretty deep into your bench, especially after what I saw last year, because that was how it kind of turned out to be uh, at times. But I think this year, I think probably a tighter rotation has benefited them more than anything. You know, again, like I said, it's nice to see Thon. It's when Vaughn gets out there and he does well, which I think there's only been one or two games where we can safely say that's been fine. I mean, let's to be fair to Vaughn, okay, and there are lots of things I'd, I'd speak differently on, but the one thing I will... Remember, Vaughn did start the season well. Like, by his standards, he started really well, and the, the opportunities were kind of taken away from him then. Mm-hmm. And it didn't make sense at the time. I don't think that's really been spoken about, but... But we, I mean, we were also talking about when they signed Jason Terry, that we said like that's kind of the end of Rashad Vaughn. Even though I know that's before the season, and we were we still are very high on Rashad Vaughn, but there has been something there compared to his every game last year that he played with the Bucks. But they still was, they still sent him to the D League for yeah. quite a significant period of time. I mean, he he started better, and we once again had this thing of what he's been showing in practice being talked up to start the year and then he wasn't actually given the chance to kick on and build on that and Jason Terry who started the year slowly was able to actually build and grow in his role and I I do I think Jed has improved and he's become a lot more important just in terms of everything he brings to the table where it's at a point where it's impossible to compare him and Vaughn because Vaughn may not even shoot as well as Jason Terry and you're not factoring in all the other immeasurables that Jet brings to the team. And there is a really noticeable difference in how guys talk and how he will get them to regroup if things are going poorly, fire them up further and fire the crowd up if things are going well. You're not getting that out of Vaughn. So that's definitely factored into it. Like, I think a tight rotation of the books isn't even necessary. It just needs to be a little tighter. Like, I, I don't have a problem with... I'm not calling for, like, some... I don't know, some sort of hideous eight- or nine-man rotation where everyone's playing crazy high minutes. It's fine stretching out to 10, 11, 
sometimes even 12th, but I just feel you've got to have a cutoff point where it's like, these are these are nightly regular rotation guys, and you could have maybe one flex spot that it's like, okay, well, if the game calls for it, we'll play tons of minutes tonight. Or that can be Rashad Vaughn, or it can be Miles Plumley, or if someone's injured, maybe even Steve Novak. But you've got to have some sort of shape where it's not like Vaughn goes from out of the rotation, not even close to getting minutes, to all of a sudden being the first or second guy off the bench. Without injuries, without any... Like, why, why does that happen? What does that benefit the team? It could benefit Vaughn, absolutely, and that would be good, but do the positives outweigh the potential negatives in making a move like that? I don't really know. I want to go through some of the bench guys, and we'll make it very simple, in sort of a, do you trust them for their role, or do you not trust them to fulfill their role kind of way? Because I think the, I, I personally feel the answer for most is that I'll, I'll trust them in their role if that's managed properly. There's only a few guys where it's sort of like, well, I don't really know. I think with that, you can have a 10-11 man rotation you can figure out. And it's really the rotation the books had when things were going best this season. We'll start a point guard. Whether it's Delhi or Brogdon, I feel confident you're saying you trust the point guards in their roles. Yeah. There may be better ways and we're still learning that one may be better suited as a starter one better suited as a bench guy but it's not unfathomable that both players can drive and contribute to the team in their own way yeah if we move over to shooting guard do you trust jason terry to have regular minutes within the rotation um yeah yeah Rashad Vaughn? No. Agreed. Forwards, I guess we can lump a few together. Michael Beasley? Yes. Mirza? Under my watch, yes. Tom? No. Steve Novak? Yeah, yeah no. Um, Was Pumley? No. I... I Greg Monroe, I'm guessing you. No, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm 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 with you on I think I'm with you on all of that. I might there's one player I might maybe add, but Steve. We'll get to it in a second. <laughs> but that leaves it with right. One of Delhi or Brogdon, Jason Terry, Beasley, Toledovich, and a center. Okay, so it's a ten man rotation. You you can do full line lineup swaps. You can have five guys on, five guys off. If you want, even though there'll probably be some staggering involved. Everyone's healthy, that's that's a deep that's a pretty deep rotation. If you can give a full bench group that should be able to play well together, there's full full of competent guys, that helps. I'd argue at this point that Ton may merit inclusion in that if we're if we're including the within his role and in that I mean his role should be limited to five six minutes. I think 
from the quotes that Jason Kidd gave to Charles Gardner in his recent Milwaukee Journal Sentinel piece, it seemed like we were moving in that direction. Yet then he played I mean, less than one minute in the game. It's the Hawks. But I do feel, okay, if they want to play Tonmaker five or six minutes, if that's one minute in the second quarter, one minute in the third quarter, you know what I mean? <laughs> Four minutes when it's a blowout win or loss in the, in the fourth, that's kind of fine with me at this point. I, I see the benefit to that. I see the benefit to that more than I'm currently seeing it with Plumley. I I like the idea of them being able to play Plumley. I've said this because they paid the contract, so they're going to have to figure it out at some point. But it's not like even it was at the start of the season when they demoted him. Right now, he's unplayable. Not in yeah. the good way. Not in the good way. Well, there's no good way of saying that you're unplayable. But this is like the worst uh, outcome of, of... There isn't anything impeding his unplayable playability. Is that a way of saying Yeah, that? but there's unplayable as in like... Injured? No, there's... You could say, see, you'd probably... In soccer, right? In the Premier League, in English soccer, if a player was on top form, you'd say he's unplayable. And that would be like... Unplayable is in terms of you can't play against him. You've no way yeah. of playing around it right where unguardable is probably the phrase you go to nba wise to combat that so that's that was a good version but that definitely isn't relevant to miles plumley at the moment no. in maybe in miles plumley's head when he decides to break out dream shakes and sky hooks he's unplayable but for everyone else it's a different kind of unplayable so where is the where is the benefit for the books in Larry, where's the benefit in Rashad Vaughn playing? Because I, I see this when he played tonight. People are happy. Uh, he makes a couple of field goals. The books were minus eight in the few minutes he played. <laughs> I mean, I... seriously, I, I, I really, I kind of, I try to understand that, but we're beyond the point where it's understandable. Yeah, I mean, it's just, this is we're over halfway through his third. <laughs> it's unplayable. Season. That's what you're saying. <laughs> but it's over halfway through his third season. He's, this isn't a. Second. This isn't a rookie, right? It's not. This isn't Ton. You're not saying, well, what is he showing us now? And he's at the start of his. It's it's not that. I mean. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. You can't really explain it. Obviously, I think maybe, maybe schedule wise. I mean, they it's you're coming going on the road. You have a game tomorrow, but you're. It's hard to explain. I I think even too. I don't remember Tony Snell playing in the fourth quarter, so maybe I don't know. It was just. I mean, if we're taking today's game by example, this is. It was a weird game, for a variety of reasons, but probably the biggest reason was just the rotation looked very odd, and. Uh, it wasn't a very good thing. Um, but well, I mean, the... it was 36-36 after the first, right? Yeah. Which was not ideal. That's the whole And they were up thing. what? They were up pretty, like, by... were they up by 10 at some point the first? They were, I mean, they got off to... Yeah, they, they had a good lead. It was maybe, yeah. if not 10, it was 8. Um, so, relatively comfortable. And then, I mean, early in that second quarter, he goes to Plumlee and Vaughn. Just weird, and uh, you did correct me there, but just in case you didn't hear that, you're right. Second year, it feels like I've been going through this <laughs> for three years. But 
there, really though on that I just I, I again I don't see what we've seen to for it to be worthwhile to discuss that like Tom Maker has given us bigger flashes really than Rashad Vaughn that's not even a joke in the time he's played surely and, a better three-point shooter if, if <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely and we all entered the season on the assumption that Maker couldn't give us anything really you know he's a project it's going to take some time Vaughn was never to be to this extent, and it's very, very strange to me. Like, I just don't see why, at that point, that's the direction you're taking. And I think it is easy, as we touched on earlier, it's easy to say, you know what, we need to... I need to give Tony Snell some, some rest here. I don't want to go to Jason Terry quite this soon, or... I can't remember exactly way, what way it played out at the time. I don't know if it was Delhi or Brogdon on. But in that sort of scenario, if it's a few minute burst, you know, don't overthink it. You could say, you know what, let's give Mirza and Beasley three or four minutes together and see. And that could be sort of thing that if it works, you're going to kick on. You're going to be out of sight in a hurry. And if it doesn't, you know what? We can still give a quick hook to that uh, Miles Plumlee-esque hook and everything's fine. It's just a little bit unusual to me when the experimentation gets too much. And I'll, I'll include Ton in, against the Spurs. was a That was great. I mean, that was a really big positive. Was it a little bit uncomfortable, though, that he was getting that kind of... Like, I, I, it does amuse me a little bit because it was, once again, I did see some of, you know, well, Giannis, when Giannis kind of couldn't play anymore, and then, like, let's not pretend that Giannis, Ton is in line as some sort of Giannis replacement, that if Giannis missed some games, automatically Ton is. He might get some minutes just sort of by default, but it's not like, you know, Giannis is down, time for Ton Makers to step up. We're not at that place. So it was great to see that he not only coped with it, but he actually thrived in that game, in that situation. At the same time, for a kid to go to that was very strange for me. Do you not see that too? Oh, yeah. I, I, I loved it. I absolutely I loved, loved it. it. But it's 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 very strange. Like It's in line with a lot of the more random bench moves we've seen recently. Yeah. And we had a... A brief. There was another game like that, the Raptors game, where we could fall back on it being performance based. They looked very lethargic that lethargic that game, and I think by the end of it, it was just Giannis and Jabari were the only really good things about that game. Um, so that's why it is kind of weird. I mean, I I enjoy. I know there was a big to do about it on uh, Bucks Twitter if, about what what does it mean. I know Eric Name of uh, ESPN Milwaukee was talking about it. And being at the game on Friday, it was – it's weird. I don't – I don't know. I don't know what it is um, necessarily. I think – I don't I, – I, I, I get it. He's the next – Yanis and Jabari are, for all intents and purposes, they're all grown up, right? So – they were the guys yeah. or no, but they were the guys know, where know, it was once, you know, that was the future and all. They're they're officially like the now and they're making for a very positive present experience for the books. So Ton's role or 
I guess the sort of status he could always potentially have slipped into when they decided to draft him was going to be, you know, he's who's next. He's the next great hope beyond that. But I just think the development of those two guys has kicked that on a stage for so many people where now it's like, you know, we're we're here now and we're all rooting 20 times harder for Tom Maker to actually be good because if he can be, it makes a big difference. Now, this goes back to what we talked about when he was drafted and the need to keep expectations and the man's sort of in check with him because of the unique situation and everything around it. But at the same time, I think that's what drives it. It's this sense of he is the guy where once it was, everyone was focused on, you know, that 500 season, right? There would, there would have been plenty of games where the books may have been served better by telling Yanis, you know, take a seat here and we'll, we'll roll Johnny with... Johnny O'Brien not starting. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll roll with Dudley and Urson out there together with Zaza at centre. And I, I, you get the impression I mean, but I, I find it difficult to compare it to that team because it's very different. But that idea, at the time, the question was always, well, no, no, we want to see Yanis. I mean, that's where we want to get to. And even at that time, in a different position, it was, why is Zaza playing when it could be Henson? And now it's, why would Henson play when, I mean, Henson's doing nothing. Why couldn't Tom do that nothing? And there's this sort of, I guess, oversimplification of it to some degree, but it's mostly just born out of excitement and this feeling of... And people want the new thing. They want the new thing, and they want the new thing to be even better than the last thing. And there's almost an expectation, probably inbuilt, if not even something that any books fan is going to feel comfortable with, but it's, you know, Yanis is the, the ultimate home run when it comes to draft picks now. That's like they took the risk on Tan and what if he's a home run? As I said, it's he, he he has shown good glimpses, albeit limited, when he has played. So there is real justification for people to be excited. It it just got a little stranger this week with that Spurs game. Because before that I could kind of get it because he was the human victory cigar, or he was the one source of joy in a blowout loss or something. That, oh, you know what, Tom might come in and or do something win. to... Yeah. To, or to, you already said victory cigar, sorry. Yeah, well, he just ruined it there, but... He was the guy who could come in and lift the mood if the place was down, or make the place go to full-on party mode if things were going well. And it's to see him in a role that is neither of those is very... Is very different. I think that further creates expectations. But I, as I lived, I'm of the the feeling now where it's like, okay, should you find some spot in the rotation? And it's very important that people get finding a spot for him in the rotation is not like Ton is the backup center, or Ton is like the backup four. It means or the backup point guard. It's not, it's not quite that crazy. It means you just need to find. A handful of minutes that he continues to get his toes wet sort of thing on a nightly basis mm-hmm. does that make sense or what is your like as a weathered beaten down books fan what is your reading of what's driving Tom? what's driving ton fever i mean i don't know um i mean it has the there, it is flu season. There has been a lot of flu going around. 
Um, uh, I think you need to have some Sprite, uh, maybe a little chicken noodle. I, I, I can't keep running with this. I, I really don't know. It is, I can't, as a lot of <laughs> what this season has become for me or my reactions to it, I don't know how to explain it. Uh, <laughs> I, it is just, because it is, it's weird because there are like these highlights of like making three pointers or, you know, blocking Goran Dragic and the, you know, for a corner three or something like that. Like, there are these definite highlights that we can Bird fall man. back on. But for, sorry, what? Birdman, cross, crossing up Birdman. Bird, yeah, cr- crossing up Birdman. I thought you said something else. I don't know. I will not say what I thought you said. But, um, because I don't remember it. Um, there are definite highlights there, but for the most part, like if you saw, like if you watch that Spurs game, he, they're probably more uh, expect things to be expected from you know looking lost on defense, kind of doing it was it was a more heightened version of what he did in summer league. Can we not say that? I, 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 his... I honestly, I honestly thought he was a little better than that against the Spurs. Oh, I I, 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 I really, I did. I felt. But you have to remember summer league. The beginning of summer league, he had like fifteen and fifteen. He blocks. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I, I'm not. I, I mean, I'm not talking actually better for talking about numbers because I, I'm. I'm not gonna get into the game of comparing summer league to real basketball. He was. He was. But that it, wasn't a real. <laughs> that Spurs game was not a real basketball game in my mind. That was a outlier. It was. It was that weird it, of a game. It, it was. It was against the Spurs in San Antonio. I mean. That's not like yeah, but you... Davis Bertans, who's got two two last names. He's going hot often. He's gone hot. He's gone hot most nights now, Jordan. That's not. I know, like... but hot lava, lava Latvia or whatever. I don't know. I uh, you can't. I don't feel you can just write that off as an outlier. In is it is it an outlier in the book season? Yes. Is it an outlier in terms of just Tom Maker being on the court against real NBA teams? No, because you can't just. He he made positive contributions in that. Yeah, he looked like a rookie, which he is. Did he look like less of a rookie than I would have expected on the road in like real second quarter against the Spurs? Fourth quarter <laughs> against the Spurs in San Antonio with his team sort of right there in the mix. I did not think that's feasible, and it's not. You can, it can't just be dismissed as an outlier because you can't just drop a random person. Or even a random NBA player into that situation and everything goes fine. Or they make any sort of positive contribution. Miles Plumley can't make a positive contribution to save his life right now. <laughs> That's not even a, it's not even a joke though, it's true. I mean, if Miles Plumley could do any of the things that Todd Maker did in that game, we'd be like, oh, you know, it's time for Plumley to start again. But he, he can't. Like, it's... It's not something to cause an overreaction. I wouldn't get too carried away with it. But if we're looking at the way the books are using the entirety of the roster, the way Kid is structuring his rotations, if he wants to run his bench pretty deep, I'd much rather see Tom Maker get a few minutes than Rashad Vaughn or... Miles Plumley, if he continues to play like he is now, it's a weird. I mean, people are gonna get carried away with it, so we're 
we're gonna have to get over that because that's gonna happen because that happened with Yanis. I hate to break it, but that happened with Yanis and was happening with Yanis up until very recently before Yanis became the real deal. And the problem people were doing that with Shad Vaughn in preseason. Oh, I was one of them. I'm just saying. Really? Were you is... were you that excited that preseason? I was thinking that he could be a legitimate. Uh, you thought he was Ray Allen, didn't you? I did not think he was Ray Allen. <laughs> Uh, and I also remember another, there may have been another UNLV guard that, you know, got a lot of preseason hype this year. I, he yeah. may have a Bucks connection. I mean, it things happen His name, like his name is Patrick McCaw, and don't make me scream at, at all. Of, no. McCaw! Um, for any true hoop listeners. Um, but yeah, people get carried away with it, and again, I'm not, I'm not the, I, I'm right there with everybody and how seeing him hit threes and seeing him block shots and just see him do things do play just see him play honestly it is a thrill to watch Stan play because there is kind of this you know we know his story we've seen what taking a big swing can be like you know not that far off or it's that it's a very recent feeling of or seeing that uh what kind of a or you know what big swings can mean um, but it is weird to kind of, it's again, going from the Spurs game, even though Giannis was not 100%, going from that to the Heat game where it was, again, it was more of a blowout type loss where you could probably afford to have him play. But in those minutes, you could, there was a block, but you could also, I don't know. I'm not trying to contradict myself, but it is, it is kind of weird that we're all, all of a sudden seeing something like this where... You know, maybe was it like a week ago? We hear John Hammond on the a podcast with you know Adrian Wojnarowski talking about Fon won't have the same opportunities as Giannis had that season, and all of a sudden we it's like maybe he could, you know, and then I don't know. It's, uh, it's, I, I don't know. I still think that's that's always going to be true because of how bad the team that Giannis came into oh, yeah, yeah, was. Yeah. Like he's he's not going to have that level of opportunity might have some opportunity it's just it, it's not really i'm not too interested in the whole i guess in debating the ton hype or the whole sense of euphoria that comes with it which is over the top but it is what it is to me Um, i just find him an interesting example right now of the way the bench is being used and what what made the Spurs game, like, really, because I don't buy that whole Giannis part of it, but what made the Spurs game an occasion that you drop Ton in for big minutes and this one that you don't? Was it that, you know what, Paul Millsap, Dwight Howard, that's not a good idea for Ton? If that's the case, I understand that. Yeah, that is a, a big step up from... Guys from like, uh, Lamarcus Aldridge, less Spurs, which yes. maybe that's the the reason that kid puts him in there. But I I just we we're not hearing those specifics, so it's it's yeah. hard to gauge. And it's then it is well, what makes you put it when the Raptors are absolutely mauling you in Toronto? What makes you drop the kid in in the second what happens quarter tomorrow? Dude, honestly, like, get a taste of this. I don't. I really don't know where the pattern is right now, and that's just what kind of I feel that, that tread extends across the whole bench, and 
it intrigues me. I'm pretty curious about what exactly is going on there. Part of the question I've asked myself before, and it's really coming to the fore for me again now, is does Kid just get bored? Really? Is there an element of, like, there, there, he needs to tinker in some way? Like, with the, with if it's not the starting lineup, it's the bench rotations. Like, I just, can he, does he not like things just, like, working? Does he have to feel he's doing something constantly to improve it? There are times where, you know, you can ride something good for a little bit before you have to make adjustments. And I think you alluded to it earlier, but the, the defensive change is a great example of that. Earlier in the season, this was a... I don't know what the highest they got up to. I think they might have been sixth briefly, but you were looking at a team that was top ten in the in defensive rating. And if you're to go last fifteen games, they're scoring the ball well enough to be fifth in net rating, which is very impressive. But they're nineteenth in defensive rating for the last fifteen games. They're down to fifteenth overall, which. You're, you're looking like two, three weeks ago they were top ten. That's a pretty steep fall. And I don't feel it's a coincidence that that's come with, okay, injuries. You've got to gotta be fair on that. But even since that's healed, there's just been this extra layer of, let's roll the dice. I don't know, some of the, the John Hammond gambler streak rubbing off on them. Yes. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's it's a weird point of the season. It's there's still twenty and nineteen. I mean, last I think we were talking about. Uh, obviously, expectations have changed, but heading in the season, I think we probably said this is a at best probably. I think we were thinking maybe league average. That might be a little higher than what we were talking talking about, but. After Chris Middleton went down, we were thinking this might be a bottom 20 defense, or bottom 20, bottom uh, third defense, you know, uh, mediocre. Well, I, I, remember, I remember that conversation because I remember around that time saying to you that I, I don't know why, actually I still don't know why, but I had a feeling they were going to be really good offensively this year. And at the time which is, that... Again, which is weird. Yeah, I, I don't... It's, it seemed foreign, but it's kind of... I mean, they're, they're eight in offensive rating. Uh, 107.8 points per 100 possessions on the season is incredibly good, and it's insane when you look at where this team was last year. But, yeah, the defense was always going to fall off, and then when it improved, it was improving in ways that we didn't expect, like Greg Monroe becoming this plus defender. Michael Beasley being a positive net rate, having a positive net rating. I mean, just, we were talking about, again, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, where think of the, more than half of the, the team that are that is consistently playing, half of the players that are consistently playing are not what we would call uh, good defenders, traditionally or historically. But it, it was for, you know, first month and a half where it was running good. Now... We're seeing more games where they are losing the rebounding battle. They're giving up a lot of second chance points. There's, even though I think today they only lost, it was thirty seven thirty six in rebounding. I, I want to say, but Hawks had twenty second chance points compared to thirteen for the Bucks. They've actually been outscored points, per, uh, uh, 
points off turnovers a lot lately. I think, you know, even like a game like the Heat, they got the game got a little closer because of them hitting three point shots, which is probably, you know, obviously having a big effect on their defensive rating. I mean, it to say it has not been perfect. It, they're sliding off and kind of showing. You know these words that we we're talking about for the last two years about with especially with rebounding that we weren't talking about it for the opening month, but now that's starting to come back into it again. And for some weird reason, the offense is holding that afloat, even though we wouldn't say that's coming without a without a Chris Middleton to kind of hold things together as what we thought. You know, team's most indispensable player the last two seasons. It's weird that that is happening without him. I, I I don't know. Yeah, and I I just feel I don't know. Was it was it Alex Boder of Books that come wrote the piece a couple weeks ago about how the books are better than the record? Am I am I right in thinking that was Alex Boder? Um, there was a few. He might have had one tilt on it, but it was also Chris Herring of. I was gonna say there was a few. Chris Herring of Five Thirty Eight did it, but I feel. Um, maybe the most specific piece on that particular detail happened to come from Alex Boder, and I I feel with all of that talk, there is a lot of truth to that, and we have to keep looking at they're playing very well, they're competitive in most games, even when things don't go well, they're not really getting blown out, they're always in with a chance, we've seen them steal some games because of that, we've also seen them blow some games they should have won, and um, when you put all of this together and you put together the kind of season Yanis is having, even Jabari is having, and you look at a record that currently has them only one game above 500, and important to note, they have they just can't get more than two games above 500. They've been unable to do that. They're staying sort of right there. A big part of that then is, well, what is, what is it they need to do to take that next step? Or what is missing at present? And I really, right now, I really think it's just finding consistency in the rotations again. I think it's just, it's when you're playing around with something a little bit too much that there's no reason, when there's no reason to do it. I think it's just, it's crying out for consistency. Let guys feel comfortable in their roles again. Let guys have their high points and their slumps. Like, let Mirza be a part of the rotation so that you get the seven for seven game from three and then you're gonna live with him going over five and another one or one for eight or something you know i mean that's part of it but that becomes your style and opportunities get created by that if miles plumley is someone you want to have a part of the rotation i'm not feeling that right now but if kid wants to do that he should do it and commit to it and actually give plumley a chance to i don't know find something whether that's get in shape uh, fall into a rhythm Stop. I just think there there is a jump hooks. <laughs> there is a real chance for them to kick on, and there has been. Maybe it's passed them by, but a part of that for me has come from unnecessary experimentation. Like, I, but I, we're that, also, I mean, we that also that we... also goes though to to the Delhi Brogdon thing because once Delhi comes back. It's just it's easy to say you do that, but again, even more than us like saying, Oh, Brogdon and Monroe, the connection he has. If you're looking at a defense that is falling off and falling off, 
the books should know better than anyone that that's built on communication and knowing the guys you're playing with so that you yeah. can you could stay in the right position. So it's every little time you add a new person into a group that they haven't ran often with, there's more uncertainty, there's more opportunity for defensive lapses. And it just, it seems like something that Brogdon could be a great defender and the the starting units could be defending pretty well overall. But putting him in there doesn't necessarily make them better straight away because he's a new guy and they're new guys for him and they don't necessarily know when he likes to gamble when he doesn't and that extends to the second unit when you know Rashad Vaughn is suddenly in for minutes Miles Plumlee's in for minutes Ton Maker is in for minutes like not being funny about it and as much as Maker can impress us if you are Greg Monroe and you're in the second unit knowing exactly what your role is supposed to be having done really well for it and doing well defensively that's all well and good but then if kid goes you know what i'm putting ton maker in there in the fourth quarter alongside you in this game that's a lot going on because i don't know if ton knows what ton's going to do defensively just yet so for his teammates to try and read okay when is he going to try to overhelp to look for a block uh, is he going to pick up all the necessary reads or is he going to miss something that I have to try and cover? That's a lot going on and it's more complicated than it needs to be when you were already a good defense. Yeah, totally agree. Okay, that concludes our bench thing where we didn't really get probably very far. Um, <laughs> but I, my only thing is just I would like him to decide on what he wants his bench to be, what he wants his second unit to be, and kind of work within those parameters. Have a pretty set group when the opportunity allows, and have, you know, have one guy, have two guys that are there, and you can assess it. As the situation comes up, don't just have it that, you know, Vaughn is going to play this, Plum is going to play this, and be a bit smarter about it. Doesn't make sense. A good team will have the same guy come in sixth, seventh. You know what I mean? First, second off the bench. That's going to be set in stone. And it was for a while with the books. It's not anymore. Mm. Before we get to the mailbag, um, it only makes sense to talk about Yanis again. Boring. Yeah, I know. So boring. This, <laughs> this, this is, I know, I don't want to bore everyone with the details, but since we were last on, the second round of All-Star voting. By the way, or, wait, sorry to cut her off. I know you're ramping up. But I want to say, we would have had an emergency podcast on Tuesday after the BZ game had Adam not been gone. I would have demanded it. I, I don't demand much, but... Would we, really? I would have I would have said half hour. Let's just do a half hour. That's not really that's not really the line that I used to persuade you, but <laughs> yeah, I was I was out of the country. I was in London for Nuggets Pacers for most of the week, and I happened to happened to fly out on I guess Tuesday night. Um, for the time of most of you listening, very early Wednesday morning for me, so. That whole Spurs game, Jordan, it was you, wasn't it? I, it? You were tweeting that night from the account. Yes, I was. So I'd arranged Jordan. I was not going to be seeing that game. I was the night off. And 
you know, I have notifications for the Behind the Books account on my phone, and it was not doing a very good job of allowing me to try and sleep on this occasion. There's sometimes where that works. This Spurs game was not one of them, so <laughs> Jordan's tweeting and everyone's reactions to it basically forced me to not get any sleep. Um, I continued to at least fight and pretend I wasn't going to watch it all live until the last four or five minutes where I just had to relent and watch. So yeah, I was I was awake to do that, but I don't we wouldn't have had much time because I had to kind of go straight to the airport with no sleep because of that win. But yeah, you wanted to just point out that we would have had a Michael Beasley emergency podcast if not for me being away, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Jordan interrupted the All Star bit for that because what's more important here? Michael Beasley has to in the vote. What would Tony Allen do? Is really <laughs> that's that's the question there. A couple of days later, Thursday, right, wasn't it, when the second round of All Star votes were released? Yanis sits second in the East in terms of front court votes, third overall. One hundred and three thousand votes only behind LeBron James. 8,000 votes behind Kyrie Irving. Overall, if you're going between both conferences, he's only 24,000 behind Kevin Durant, 26,000 behind Steph Curry. He has more votes than Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Chris Paul. This continues to get weirder and weirder, right? Uh, yes. Yes. I, I don't, I, I don't know what else to say. My question on this is, obviously Yanis has been a very big thing in the books community this season. And the push from books fans has been incredible. And as we've all played our part in that, but let's not lie and pretend that this is all just books fans. I don't even think I see this a lot where people say, "Oh, Greece has really rallied." I don't even think it's that. I I really don't. I uh, that gets shown for the weird Zaza votes too. That oh, Georgia must be. That that isn't what that is. If nobody learned the lesson from last year, I don't know who we'll find out was getting their followers, which Vine star or whatever to vote for Zaza this year. But it wasn't just. It was me. It was you. Okay, explains it all. It wasn't just Georgians voting for Zaza, and it's not just or Greeks. Jordans. It's not just Greeks voting for Yanis. There's something bigger here. Obviously, we've seen all the national pieces, the SI cover, the increased attention. But I think there's a possibility that Yanis may be even bigger among casual NBA fans outside of the books bubble than we all realize. Um, my theory on this is probably that the idea of this with a books player is so foreign to most books fans that it really is difficult to imagine. But this is all pointing to that Yanis is already, and it's happened overnight, but one of the very biggest stars in the NBA. 
both literally and uh, theoretically. If, or, well, yeah. Yeah. Maybe seven. More so theoretically. He probably ranks higher up there among the biggest stars in the league theoretically than literally, but... I mean, okay, he's right there on boat. We don't need he's to... Almost, he's we, feet? we don't need right. to get bogged down in your pedantics. I... As I mentioned, when I was over in London for the NBA Global Games this week, I tweeted a picture, I retweeted from Behind Book Pass, and I know a lot of people picked up on it too. Um, it's always a thing that every year as you come to the arena, they have sort of kind of a walkway that will have select pictures of players and the teams playing over the years, so in this case, Pacers and Nuggets, and then also some sort of current stars in the NBA. On this occasion, it was Steph Curry with Giannis beside him. So I said, I don't know, that's, that's different, that's weird. That definitely wasn't the case last year. Um, you go inside, because it's the only game of the year that's going to come to London, the only regular season game of the year that comes to Europe, it's not just a building packed full of Pacers and Nuggets fans and people wearing those jerseys and the gear of those teams. It's more general NBA. It's just NBA fans there celebrating. So you'll see jerseys for other teams. I haven't seen a whole lot of book stuff in the past. I'll include two years ago when the books were playing. Um, where it was so... The number of books fans was so scarce that I was interviewed by the Journal Sentinel because I was wearing books gear. But there were quite a lot of Yanis stuff around. There really was. There was Yanis jerseys. And also, I'm sure you've seen at the Bradley Center, you've probably seen them in Milwaukee. I know I've seen them on the the NBA stores and in the bookshop and everything. You know, the hoodies with like the, the name and number Yanis hoodies? Yeah. A lot of them around. And this was all just very different. This was where you see the likes of Steph Curry, the likes of LeBron James, these kind of players represented, all of a sudden, here's Giannis, here's Bucks gear. This might not truly sort of come to any kind of conclusion until we, until we get to All-Star Weekend and we see him playing the All-Star game, how he plays, the reaction to everything with that then. But... Is there a chance that it's trended upwards more than Bucks fans can possibly even wrap their head around? I don't know if it's even that they know, but this is kind of reaching uncharted territories for most Bucks fans, really anyone who wasn't around in the age of Kareem. And even the league is so different now compared to then that it's really kind of just generally uncharted. Um, I... I... I wouldn't, I would probably say they, yes, or no, wait, no. I would probably say no, because I think, obviously, there are so many different ways to judge reactions, all this stuff. Um, you know, not to get, I, I won't get all Mr. Professor. But, I mean, when you see, like, a game where they play against the Knicks at the Bradley Center a week ago, and... Even though I'm not, I don't really watch pregame stuff anymore. I just kind of, I wait till the game. You know, what I mean, I've 
I, I already am so well aware of all this stuff that I don't really need, you know, to see everything like this. But when it comes to, like, a national type, type game, you kind of want to say, like, oh, maybe what, what will they say about them? Do they actually know what they're talking about when it comes to the Bucks and stuff like that? Um, and a lot of it was just talking about Giannis. It was honestly just gushing about Giannis. And... Not even just the Knicks game. You have, like, the game at the Bradley Center when they're playing the Bulls, and he's going crazy against them. And they're shifting the Bucks. I mean, this Wednesday, they're going to play the Rockets on ESPN once again, even though it's not a home game. But they shifted that from another – from some other game. I can't remember what. But – and then – You even got the – sorry to cut across, but the, the Hawks game that we just watched. Sort of weird thing before that, which you don't see often, where – Dominique Wilkins comes over pre-game, sits down with Marcus Johnson. Judges his dunks. Yeah, you're talking about the greatest, genuinely the greatest in-game dunker ever is coming over to the broadcast to talk about Giannis dunks. And this isn't just like, oh, yeah, he's just at the game, you know, he's free. No, he's working the game for the Hawks, for Fox Sports Southeast. He's also got a very senior role within the Hawks organization it's just it's like it's a weird thing that doesn't just happen for any kind of visiting team any visiting guy yeah they're not do- they're not doing this for Aaron Gordon or Zach Levine maybe it's Zach not, it's Levine, not even that not... though I don't they're not doing that for let's say a DeMar DeRozan or a Kyle Lowry yes or even like a Damian Lillard I don't I just don't feel guys like that will get that kind of treatment like that's a completely different level this this is the kind of media treatment that you'd only... Something like that you'd only sort of see reserved for the very biggest stars. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, there's been a lot more um, national writers paying attention to him. Uh, you know, I, don't re- I think probably the recent Zach Lowe podcast, he's, you know, again, he's just saying he's unbelievable. Like, just... Just saying he's unbelievable, and that's all he talks about, Giannis. I mean, it's it's bigger than what we realize. I'm avoiding making a Beatles joke, but there, it's bigger than what we uh, than what we think. Uh, I mean, I mean, Giannis needs to come out and make that declaration. Just for no, 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 no. Just for my amusement, I'm a safe distance away. I, that would if that happened. Good. Come on, we've moved on. It's like, it's nearly 50 years since that. We've got a... No, we haven't moved on. I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, yes, go on, continue. But it, I, I think it's one of those, we are so... When it comes to Giannis or... I don't know. I Again, I think it's... I don't know. I, I really don't know what to view it or how to view it. Right, because... the, way, the way I put it to you is Ray Allen never got to this. I'm not saying that Giannis is already at a level, the very different players, so it's hard to even judge at what level one guy is to the other, but I'm not I'm not necessarily saying Giannis is at a level comparable to Ray Allen's best, or that will influence his team as positively as Ray Allen at his best. There's a case that he is, but I'm I'm not going there. I'm not even going down that road. I'm just talking in terms of star power. And that was a books team that was further along the road if you want to take it to 2001. Mm-hmm. 
I I'd have to bow to I guess your more local perspective or any even anecdotal evidence of that but from anything I have really ever come across in reading or research about that team about that time but Ray Allen's time as a book or whether it's Ray Allen or Big Dog or even if you're going back further I guess even guys like Sidney McGreef was incredible right but it even that still kind of shows this day Sid, Marcus, all of these great books players who aren't even Hall of Famers now I feel that's like a real like you know there's this line where they're still to this day go underappreciated in spite of some of the best resumes of guys who haven't made it that far uh, with that in mind I can't imagine that it was all too different at the time yeah there's a tinge of like underappreciated Right to it, there isn't a universal recognized uh, or beloved or you know everything. Every it, it's legitimately hard to say a bad word about Giannis. No one has really a bad word about Giannis. You could talk about maybe he's not the greatest yeah, three point shooter. LeBron, I mean, yeah, 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 whatever. <laughs> but it, it, I'm just saying, universe, like it, it is. If there isn't anything lit, like really anybody like discredited him which maybe that happens soon i mean when you get to that stage people make rash statements that's that's when you get the lebron as a choker and he can't close the game you only get that sort of thing when you get to the level that lebron got to right exactly people want to tear you down and all that stuff so i guess we have that to look forward to Oh, and how, um, how we will look forward to it, Jordan. I am. I'm putting. I'm writing down names. Um, but yeah, it, hashtag again, writing I, down names. Writing down names, naming names, yelling out windows, open your windows. You're the man, Skip. Love the show. Love the new show on FS1. Um, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It is. It's weird territory. And obviously, this version of the NBA, like you said. Their Kareem far eclipses anything that Giannis has done so far in his career. They're, he's not going to win MVP, folks. I'm sorry to say that, uh, but his name his name could be he could be like it's not impossible that he's a top definitely not impossible he's top five in MVP votes. <clears throat> it's actually impossible is just. It's it's plausible that he's top five in MVP votes. There are going to be people who are going to give him those votes. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but I do yeah. think he is that much of a phenomenon that that's going to happen. There are going to be guys who are like, there could be some stupid first place votes where we're like, the books won 43 games, what's going on? But someone's going to be like, well, look at his stat line and look at, you know what I mean? There will be some of that. He's at that level where... You're going to people get are some, going to, some of the people silliness. are, are going to yeah. solely credit their success to him. And it's you wouldn't be that wrong about that, which is ridiculous. I, I, again, everything is ridiculous to this. I, I, I'm going to not be able to handle it well, and uh, everybody pray for me. I don't know. <laughs> You're already me. not handling it that well. No, I mean, that I was... That was very much commented upon for our Yanis emergency podcast where the, I think the general feeling was you didn't know what to do with all of this. Yeah. I still don't. 
update. I, I still do not know what to do. I can't even handle success. Yeah, I can't. It's not. I, <laughs> why is it? Why am I talking about myself? Uh, that's not what I what anybody wants to hear. But yeah, this is all weird. We'll we'll yeah, move it on good. from that. But I will. I'll, that is. I think that's what everyone wants to hear. I I I am the vehicle of this show who is here basically to get Jordan to talk about himself whenever <laughs> no whenever I, I can get that to happen I've, I've made the listeners happy. I wish there was an eject button in this vehicle. <laughs> yeah, I just in wrapping that up, just the all the recent aspects of everything are very very different. I think with Yanis, one thing in particular that stands out to me, I think he started to get a push from the league. Remember. No one reaches NBA fans better than the NBA themselves and through their own channels, whether that be social media and Facebook and Twitter, um, whether that's NBA TV or whatever it is, just the ways that they will push directly to the people who are their, their target audience. They have started to do that, and I feel that's going to get bigger because Giannis is everything they need their next star to be his whole story um, as they continue to look to make the game more global, expand into, I guess, different markets that are further afield. Yanis is the guy with this sort of poverty stricken background who has African heritage, grew up in Europe. He checks so many of the boxes and then he's incredibly marketable in terms of his personality as well. So, the push has started from the league, and I think that's only going to get bigger. And that's really what makes you a star. Because if the league decides to push you, then the likes of ESPN, they're going to fall in line with that too. All of the major sports broadcasters, publications, outlets, they'll all fall in line if that's what they're kind of being pushed or fed. And that's what's going to happen with Yanis. It's already happening with Yanis. It's a very, very different thing. I just, I guess that was my element of starting out with talking about myself. I found that coincided with the votes coming out. I was actually sitting in the arena in London at the time when the second round of votes came out. And having just seen that and having seen, I mean, seeing any Yanis stuff around at a game that wasn't a books game was probably even unthinkable last year. I mean, good luck trying to find one Bucks fan in the arena sort of thing. So mm-hmm. that in itself spoke volumes to me and then see the votes. We've got two or three days. It's Thursday they announced the starters, right? Mm-hmm. It honestly isn't beyond the rounds of possibility that Giannis ends up number one for votes in the East. Improbable, yeah, but... Let's keep it up, Thanasis. Let's keep driving that train. Oh, well, it's, it's, done. Awesome. it's done now. It's done. It's closed. But it's time everyone listens to this. No, no, no. I think it's tomorrow. It ends tomorrow. 16. Uh, you can, maybe you're right. I thought that too, but then I saw some tweets to the contrary. Um, hmm. Hmm. Yeah, we'll, look, we'll see what happens. Hmm. Before we get to the mailbag, let's do it in sequence this week. I messed it up last week. Let's go through our predictions leaderboard and then make our picks for the week ahead. Um, in first place at the moment, we have Rowan Caddy, 25 and 14, 430 point differential. We have a three way tie for second. 
all on a record of 23 and 16. Point differentials of 429, 446, and 477, respectively. We've got Lucas Harkins, Adam Kaufman, Tom Feister. Then in fifth, it's me, 22 and 17, 472 point differential. In a tie for sixth, we have Tim Ray, 21 and 18, and a 448 point differential. We also have Jordan Tresky, whose face was getting particularly long there. This is about as low as Jordan has been in the predictions game ever. Um, Jordan's 21-18, 5-22-point differential. And last and still least is Ty Windish, 20-19. 4-61-point differential. Hey, he's above 500. He's above 500. He's only yeah. one game out of putting you on the bottom, Jordan. So, I have to these are high-pressure picks, I have to my kick friends. my heels and let's go. This week's games. Click. It's that kick. Damn it. Yeah, it could be. If I mean, if you're like, if you're like Doherty, the wizard. That's right. That's what I'm talking about. Is that kick? No, it's click. Yeah, it's click your heels, not kick. Even though it should be kick. I thought you did it the other way around, but yeah. No, I said kick first, then click, then grumbled. I, th- then... I think everyone would have been okay on either of them. You wouldn't have been. But is it click your heels or is it kick your heels? It should be kick, but it is click. <laughs> I, I think it is click. I don't agree with that. You know what? They're actually, I think they, they both, they both actually carry okay. So you just made a big deal of money. Like my life. Uh, <laughs> on that note. So on Monday, the books have a 2.30 PM game against the 76ers. I am, right now, I'm not sure if any of you will be listening to this before it or will have completed it before that. It will be out before the game, but whether it will be out long enough for you all to have enough time to listen to it. Maybe some of the... By this time that they're listening, they may know the outcome of the game. And they may ridicule us by the outcome of that game. That was very Jerry Seinfeld-esque, that voice there. What's the deal with yeah. Gerald Henderson dunking on Tony's tail? I don't know. So, Monday, 2.30 p.m. Central, 76ers visit Milwaukee. What's your prediction, Jordan? Uh, the Sixers are in a tear this this Five of their week. last six or six of their five last of the, Five of their last seven because they lost last night. But Okay. Uh, they're, they're, they could be a problem. Um, we're gonna see Embiid. I I want to say I want to say Bucks by Bucks by eight. No no no. Bucks Bucks by eight. Let's just go with that. Uh, also, an additional prediction: we will see three Urson uh, charges. Or someone will draw three He'll draw charges. three charges. That's three a lot charges. of charges. I will I actually in case people do not hear this beforehand, I will tweet that out before the game. Or maybe later tonight, as after we are recording, I will predict Ursan draws three <laughs> charges. So we're going for Trillisova charges. Trillisova charges, Bucks by eight. I don't care don't I, I don't really care about the score of the game. I, I more you just care want, about... You just want... Yeah, uh, I miss our son. 
I, I, I tell you, everyone probably misses our song, but although no, 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 no. missed them at uh, the time. A lot of people miss our song. Come on, they do. Steve Novak <laughs> or our song. Come on. Come on, I mean. Well, it would come down to this simple question. Would Ursan wear a hoodie over under a blazer? I think that. Could Steve Novak form a super team of giant Steve Novaks? <laughs> That's a great counter. I don't <laughs> think so. I don't think he can do that. There you go. If he could, I'm still not sure if they'd be effective. But, yeah, here we are. Um, I'll go books by. I'll go books by five. I I think the books should beat them and beat them pretty comfortably. The only thing stopping me from going bigger on that is. Uh, John Henson or Miles Plumley or Greg Monroe really are not gonna have any answers for Joel Embiid at the moment. That could be pretty ugly. Yeah, yeah, or maybe even Noel. Or Okafor. Or Okafor, really. Okafor I mean, had a really good game last night. A team packed with centers who can do things. I think so Is much it? so that the Sixers and definitely their fans kind of... They get particularly down on Okafor, particularly down on Noel. But that can only happen when you've got both of those guys and Embiid. So you have this situation where, you know, oh, Okafor is, Okafor is terrible. Yeah, well, he is if you've John Bede, but do the books like him over Miles Plumley right now? Yes. Yes. On Wednesday, live on ESPN from the Toyota Center, the books visit the Houston Rockets. This is going to be a bloodbath. Oh, no. This is going to be a, a big loss. Uh, Rockets by 22. What is it that makes you think that? I know the Rockets are incredibly good, but, like, I watched them kind of fall flat on their face against the Timberwolves last week. I watched that game, and it was a weird game where, I guess, basically, Eric Gordon was out. Ryan Anderson started horribly slow from three before late in the game, just making every single tree that he looked at. But it's one of those where, I don't know, I you went Rockets by what, 20? 22. I got Rockets by 12 or something, and that might be with a late surge. I think it'd be close enough. Could the Bucks beat them? Sure. Don't listen to Jordan, people. Um, the Rockets are really good. I mean, James Harden is insane. He'd be my MVP right now. Without any real doubt about it for me. Are they beatable? Can the books kind of expose them with some of they do? Yes. Um, the one thing is that we, I'd feel very confident with the way the books' defense is trending that the Rockets will really expose the books. So yeah. the books would have to expose the Rockets more than they expose the books. Hashtag exposed. Don't. Don't hashtag that. Don't. Bad. Bad idea. Bad idea. Cut that. Cut it. Do we edit? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm going to need to on this one, so just don't. Just don't do it, people. Yeah. On Friday. Road trip continues. Uh, the books, I don't know, maybe they'll spend... 
Thursday at the Magic Kingdom. How about it? But for Friday, matching up with the Orlando Magic. Your feelings on this? Do you is, is it more important that the books win this, or that you get like a a book Snapchat story where Steve Novak is wearing a Mickey Mouse hat? Maybe he shows up to the game wearing one. We don't know. Um, uh, hmm. I'll go Bucks by Bucks by ten. I'll go Bucks by. I want to go big, but I'm gonna go big the next night. I think as well. So, can the Bucks win back to back two big ones? I'm not sure. Bucks by. 14. Following night, staying in Florida, down to South Beach, the Bucks play the Heat. What's your prediction? Let's hope it's not the like the last Heat game in Florida. Let's go, um, I'll go Bucks by, uh, Bucks by, Bucks by 11. Uh, I'll go Bucks by 22. The Heat are just so bad. They really are. Like, there was a genuinely sort of horrible stretch that got that game on Friday anywhere near respectable. I don't know if that can happen again. The Heat are very different than they were when they beat the Bucks earlier in the year, and the Bucks are like an entirely different team. Yeah. I that but big win. Bucks with twenty two. Okay, let's move on to the mailbag. The first one from at Ritos underscore Muller. Is Tladovic a trade deadline sell with bees playing so well? This, this question by Reed got a lot of follow-up to it. Attraction. Uh, no. No. I don't think so. Um, this falls in line with the tinkering, doesn't it? This it, The kid we're talking being guilty of even this idea of you know oh we're here now let's the next move to make us better the next move to make us better and eventually or even immediately in the book's case you make the move that actually sets you backwards instead of making you better Mm -hmm. yes um yeah i I just don't see it happening I, i don't forget it being real yeah do you see a reason why it would happen because i don't no. It wouldn't make sense. Um, uh, just, it wouldn't make sense, like, in terms of playing or, you know, what his role is or anything like that, or even with his recent round or whatever. But it just wouldn't make sense. I mean, Michael Beasley's an unrestricted free agent this summer. Mirza's on a good deal until, for three years. Yeah. They're not going to. As good as Beasley has been, I think we could safely say Beasley, the best of Beasley has come with the best of the Bucks, and the best of Mirza has ne- hasn't necessarily equaled the best of the Bucks. You know what I mean? He w- he sense? won them a game on his own. I think it's fair to say, and there's yeah, a couple of won- times where he's kind of done that. And as you as you're saying, really, he's probably he's had good games that were wasted by the rest of the Bucks not playing so well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. At least maybe, maybe I'm not factoring expectations because a lot again coming from the person that I'm eating crow daily amounts of crow on my Beasley 
initial Beasley feelings about him uh, when that happened. But uh, yeah, it just I don't I wouldn't see any reason for him to. And the, again, he, they he's still very valuable to the Bucks. They need three point shooting. And he's shooting and like thirty eight percent. Thirty eight percent from three, and that's on a high volume too. Like that's his career average as well, by the way. Because I don't, I don't, well, I don't know what people are disappointed. I've, I'll be, I said this back at the trade deadline. I was not a fan of the idea of them trading for Mirza. Um, I was, I was happy enough, I suppose, when they signed them, but I wasn't all in on it. Um, it was more important that they got a. A shooter than specifically that they got Mirza Toledovic. I've been won over though pretty significantly in the time since. I know there's a, there's a lot Welcome. of people who aren't particularly in on Mirza, but he's a real game changer and getting those guys off the bench is something that teams kill for. And I don't I don't know why everyone likes to latch onto when he has a bad game quite so much. Well, I think it's because his bad games are so noticeable. Yeah, I mean, the fact yeah, that but he's I, shooting... I also, I, I don't, I don't feel like he ever really just single-handedly, that's it, Mirza no. Toledovic lost the game. He'll, he can hurt you, but I feel like if you're going, is he going to single-handedly win or lose you games? There's a better chance of him winning you games sort of on his own by just going completely insane. Mm-hmm. Making everything he looks at. Not unlike Michael Beasley. Yeah, really. And I mean, it's again, there's a big part of this too. It's like we give out about what the Bucks bench looked like last year. And we give out about what the Bucks spacing looks like, looked like last year. And all of a sudden you get something where you can kind of keep opposing teams honest and. The bench is coherent, and what, why, like, what are you going to trade him for? What is an asset now that's you're looking to build a team that in the next couple of years can be a real playoff contender that they're looking at making runs in the playoffs rather than just making the playoffs? That's what are you going to look for in that situation? You're going to look for a Mirtzlatovic. You're going to look for a veteran who can fill his role off the bench. That's exactly what he is. All it takes is an injury to Beasley, or touch wood and even worse again an injury to a Yanis or a Jabari where someone has to step up and then what have you got like why are you why are you trading him makes no sense to me from at Alex underscore Koenig 3 Monroe has been playing really well but I still feel he needs to anchor the bench to be successful am I crazy no no definitely not I fully in agreement with that and as we sort of went to at the start of the episode it may be a case that he also needs a very specific sort of bench environment and group out on the floor with him and that may even more specifically have to include playing more than two minutes with Malcolm Brogdon so yeah his role may be very well defined the circumstances that allow him to play well may be even more defined that's all okay when it's getting the results um so I I don't really know why. The answer, the answer to Henson is not playing well. That's me being kind. And Plumley is. I don't know what Plumley is. The answer to those questions isn't just let's start Monroe. It's you're getting the best out of Monroe that you've managed to get so far. So you've got to be very careful about messing with that. Mm-hmm. 
from Alex underscore Kenigser to three again. Looks left, looks right, leans in, whispers. Could maker maybe be a KD type player? No. No, no definitely not. I mean, if we're talking about like, um, could he be a Kevin Duckworth? I mean, you know, that's a KD I know. Former uh, Buck. Former Buck. Eight games, but those are some brilliant, brilliant performances in those eight games. That I mean, that's certainly possible. I mean, Kevin Duckworth was a eight-game Hall of Famer for the Bucks. Um, what about what about Keon Dooling? Keon Dooling, another former Buck. Uh, possibly. I mean, he might have eclipsed uh, Keon Dooling's Bucks career already. Um so yeah, I think he could probably even be better than both of those guys. Uh, he could be a KD type player, and, and from those types of guys, I don't think there's another KD that I know. Um, yeah, the, uh, there is another KD, and he can't. I mean, what have we seen suggesting it close to? Really, just who? for a minute, Kevin Durant, Jordan, Kevin Durant. Oh, that was Devin Durant. No, no, no. I, I've no, there's no reason for that to be a question. I'm pretty sure Kevin Durant was not maybe going to get a few minutes every now and then in his rookie season. Kevin Durant, maybe the best scorer in NBA history, right up there. No, I don't think that'll be time. Look at Thongs per 36 minutes. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> don't even. Jordan, don't leave a joke with that. There'll be Twitter will be filled with Ton Maker screenshots of Ton Maker Kevin Durant per thirty six tomorrow. And guess who will sure. be the person that will be doing that? Yours truly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we're comparing rookie seasons per thirty six, Ton Maker eighteen point five points, nine rebounds. 61.9% shooting from the field, 55.6% shooting from three point range. Kevin Durant, 21.1 points. Only 4.5 rebounds, though. Doesn't quite match up. 43% from the field, 28.8% from three point range. Already a better three point shooter. Yeah, well, maybe he can, all of those numbers, when we look at them. Maybe. Maybe it is in play, except for the fact that Durant averaged 34.6 minutes per game in 80 games as a rookie. Mm. Does that matter, Jordan? No, not really. Okay. No, is the answer to this. Sorry, Alex, but no. I, I'd love if I had a name just sort of off the top of my head to try out here right now. This is not encouraging you, Jordan, to just throw a name out. But I'd love if I had just sort of some... You know, actually, I'll give you a name. This will excite nobody other than Jordan. But if Ton Maker became like Amir Johnson, oh. if he became that kind of guy, that's not all that exciting for everyone, but that might be just enough for what the books need. You know, actually, I, I was thinking about this. Um, I, I don't think I've unleashed this before. On the podcast, 
But I remember when we were talking, the genesis of this podcast, we were talking about that draft, the 2015 draft. We are talking about Bobby Portis. We were talking a little bit about Christian Wood and seeing Christian Wood have like a 45-point game this week. It was some like ridiculous deadline. Made me think... Thon is kind of in that in the vein of those guys, right? Yeah, he yeah. is actually. That's that's a, I hadn't thought of that. That's a good point though. The his skill set is kind of similar to Bobby Portis, Christian Wood. Yeah, there, both, there isn't there isn't any like they worked questions. both of those out as well. Like it wasn't just we were talking about them. They were they were guys who they were really they they looked closely at. So I mm-hmm. guess they wanted that kind of guy eventually and it wasn't just that you know Tom was his talent they were probably looking for that kind of guy yeah I think you'd probably go more to Christian Wood where those are guys are really raw but they're you can see talent in them Christian Wood had other question marks if I remember correctly still does really still do, yeah why, still does why he's doing that in the daily yeah I mean I thought when you went when you started with seeing Christian Wood put numbers up like that thing so I I was convinced it was going to be whether he would be more worth Miles Plumlee's contract than Miles Plumlee is, but yeah. Once again, from Alex underscore Kenny 023. Similar topic, so I think it's safe to say we'll be moving on quickly here. Could or should Ton start and essentially take most of Henson's minutes? Henson has been rough, man. Henson has been rough. Very rough. He's... (sighs) Jordan's eyes are closed right now when he's saying this, but just for just for dramatic emphasis, for those of you who aren't actually going to look at this right now, just it's important you know that when Jordan gives you his next description of just how rough Henson has been, his eyes are closed. Yeah. I tweeted this earlier today. I'm permanently losing hope in John Henson. And I don't like to do this. I don't like to I don't like to make negative statements on Twitter. I like to keep things for fun. I like to be a fun guy. But John Henson is not making things fun for me. And I'm not, I'm not a fun guy right now. Anyway, uh, no, you should not. <laughs> I think if Henson has been rough, we would probably see a whole new level of what rough looks like if we were to just <laughs> throw the still incredibly raw and unproven rookie into the lion's den. It's that. Henson is playing 24 minutes a night, I'd played say. 20, he played a, a fair amount of minutes today. Are you 26? No, Plumlee played. 24, you're probably right. I don't know why I corrected you in the first place. 24, let's go. Well, that was, I'll be honest, I didn't have it right in front of me, so that was something of a guess on my part. So maybe a little bit off, but he's he's in that, no, you know, less, 20. Mm. In that region. 20. So wait, Plumlee played eight minutes tonight. Yeah, did you not know oh, that? That was God. all. That was all in the second quarter too. I'm right in thinking. <sighs> and Vaughn played basically that same spell. Like they weren't just in; they were, <laughs> they were in, and it felt like it was never gonna end. My eyes are closed again. I, it just. Uh... I can I can confirm Jordan's feelings. He did. He messaged me earlier, and he, he did, actually he didn't ask. He said. I think I'm going to have to write a Henson piece now. Yeah. That's when you know things are bad when I have to... Jordan's been driven to writing a piece on a particular player. 
It's not good. Sometimes it's good. I I wrote about Monroe, but yeah, that's that's true. But that that's different. That's like that was written with like that's I get a message. I get a message going. Can I? Is anyone doing a piece on Monroe? It's when when someone's good. It's always is anyone doing a piece on? Because I mean, there's there's things for everyone to get into. But this was one where you knew no one wants to touch this. And this it was just, it... I think I'm going to have to be the one to to go down this path. My, the way, like, if I could equate it or, like, it, I, when I asked those questions, those were, like, mechanical pencils. You know what I mean? I can erase my request. This one, I'm breaking out the quill. I'm breaking out a big uh, paper the size of the... Mechanical pencils is... I, I don't know if this is intentional. Being you, I'm sure it is. But that is one of the oldest callbacks I've ever heard on Winning Six. I don't know if you remember. Oh, my God. But that's... that's I, I'm pretty sure Andrew Snyder was on that Winning Six. That's how long ago that was. So, yeah. anyway, Ton should not start and take anyone's minutes. I'm all for him getting a regular rotation role once again. Like, four or five minutes. Yeah. I don't want. I don't want. Not like starting. I said last week, I don't want JLB starts with them. I like. I like. I like how it's spontaneous and fun. It's like opening up a, a pack of. Uh, you know, you think you're opening up peanuts, a peanut can, and it explodes in your face. But this time, it's exploding. What, with how is how is that pleasant? It's like it's Sometimes like you it's think fun. you're opening a peanut can and it explodes in your face. That's fun. Well, I don't eat peanuts. I, I'm just imagining. Do peanuts come in a can? Um, they might in America. I know you guys like cans, but here they wouldn't come in a can. No. Oh, I guess we're too good, or you're too. What's the next question? <laughs> the next one from a DJ Jazzy J one. Are you? Are you'll be really happy that you moved it on to this question now. Oh no! <laughs> Is Jordan Tresky the most interesting man in the world? The new dose. Dos Equis, is it? Dos Equis. Dos Equis. No, Dos Equis. Okay, whatever Dos that Equis. is. The new, that guy. Uh, just isn't cutting it for me. I, I I only kind of knew that guy from memes and internet stuff. I don't, don't think that, it's a beer, right? It don't even exist here. It is a beer. Um, Are, are you the most interesting man in the world? No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm far from interesting. This is a heightened version of me. I'm making it up that I'm, you know. No, I, I'm not. Uh, I, no, I'm not. Jordan, you're like this all the time. I know. That's why I said I'm making that up that I'm. But this, uh, maybe you are the most interesting, is what I'm saying. If, if the perception of you coming across the podcast is that you might be. I can confirm that in conversation outside of this. There are times where I, I try, i trying to have a real, like, conversation with Jordan about the books. There'll be something that's bothering me. I'll be like, I'll talk to Jordan about this problem the books are having. And it's it's this. It's exactly this guy. He can't, he still has to make the jokes. He still has to send me back photos of Tony Snell, Duncan, getting hit in the face with the ball. <laughs> things of that nature so. looking unconscious as he's dunking the ball it, it's a very drawing picture I don't know why I think it's <laughs> I don't know why I celebrate it the way I do but um, yeah this is what happens when 
you look at life like a carousel, I guess. And that that answer is why we can't just dismiss this question out of hand. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to commit to saying that Jordan is that. Maybe not true, but that answer puts him in the mix. <laughs> From a David Dunn twenty one. You can borrow my time machine to stop one thing from happening. David Dunn's time machine is back. Middleton's hammy. Jabari's knee. Sanders meltdown. Or don't meddle with the past. Uh, Well, I'm very... I ascribe to the theory... Ascribe or subscribe? This is another click your heels or kick your heels. Uh, sub- subscribe. Subscribe, not ascribe. I subscribe to the theory that if you do meddle with the past, something, it changes the present. It's like that Simpsons episode. There's a Simpsons, there's a Treehouse of Horror where Homer puts his hand in a uh, toaster and changes, he goes back in time. And when he comes back to the present, it changes the whole setting you're, you're talking about the butterfly effect but only you would first go to well it's I, like I, that it's like that simpsons episode to do it yeah it's, who's gonna talk about that crappy movie with uh, yeah well it wasn't specifically the movie i was talking about as much as no the it's more the movie okay by the way when ash oh, never mind. i was gonna say a stupid joke that i've always <laughs> uh anyway um jordan what was the joke uh when ashton kutcher uh is I feel like he's he likes to grill a lot, uh, but his friends call him Ashton Kutcher, the backyard butcher, when he's grilling up meats. <laughs> that was one of the most rehearsed jokes you've ever. I I just I want I have no That's idea what? of at what point like you've got that one ready and you're like yeah I'll just it's honestly when the I time see will Ashton... come when that one is. You, when you see Ashton Kutcher, you think of the, yes, I, that is no the backyard butcher. Was that what you called him? Yeah, because he likes to cook up meats outside. I feel like he likes to cook up burgers. This is this should be cut. I don't know why. It's not. It's staying in. Um, anyway, before we get on to Ashton Kutcher, uh, the backyard butcher. Yeah. Hashtag Ashton Kutcher the backyard butcher. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> don't do that. I feel like that's like uh, yeah. Um, my answer would be Larry Sanders. Really? Yeah, I know. I I have a soft spot for Larry, but granted, everything that. Um, that we talked about with center position, Miles probably. Doing jump hooks to spite me, John Henson making me close my eyes to disapproval. Greg Monroe being really good, but are the Bucks going to resign him? Could he leave? All this stuff. Larry Sanders is the type of guy that, in my mind, could have easily, at his best, could have easily solved all these problems. And they already committed to him. I mean, think about what his contract was. Four years, forty-four million. Obviously, hmm, that sounds it, it went, that sounds familiar, Jordan. It sounds very familiar, and obviously, it went. It started off not unlike Henson, uh, apocalyptically. I mean, it, I mean, he's not in the league anymore. Um, 
But I just think if you transported 2012-13 Larry Sanders, or even maybe Larry, like, at the time when, before he even left, he was still, like, fairly fine. I mean, he wasn't he – was, he was definitely not at that point where he was two years ago, but – he still was, I don't know. It's, I, I find it, that's why it makes me so sad, like, not sad about it, because I think it's probably better that he, where he is now, that he's enjoying life and all this stuff. But it, you, everybody could see that he could fit with the team, and it's still as clear as day that he could still do that. And, I don't know. At, I some, at some stage we'll do this. I know we, we sort of briefly touched on this maybe two or three months ago. But for me, that's a really... I, I can't commit to that Larry Sanders answer because it's just... That's everything we know changes. Like, that is one that it's well, not... Well, that's what I was saying. No, but I mean, that is, like... You, now we're talking about Ashton Kutcher. You're talking about what changes now and pretty immediately. We don't really get to that point because they don't sign Greg Monroe and you don't even know what that season that ends up in the playoffs, how, how that goes if... It's Larry Sanders who's in that spot rather than Zaza. Does, is it as good? Because there was a part of the weird synergy of that team that was these older guys who were unathletic but super smart. I don't. There was just there's so many weird things. Like that's such a big, big moment that longer term will be overlooked. But every decision that comes after that is not necessarily made if Larry Sanders just you know that all worked out fine. I, I, for me, it's one of the toughest, like, well, what if that happened? What if on that one, everything is different? If Larry Sanders was always kind of focused and on his game... But I don't or, think... I don't think it, I know you're not saying he has to... I know. Though. Yeah, I know, but if Larry Sanders was... Even from the year before, right? If we're imagining some sort of more idealized Larry Sanders, I don't... Like, I... The term, the term used. The question is Sanders meltdown, which that's that's likely for characters as much as anything else. It's a Twitter poll, but I don't like kind of putting it like that. Not just because of obviously whatever he went through, but because that also gives the feeling of it being a sudden thing, where this was clearly something that went on yeah. for almost two years and progressed it's, and progressed. It's like hanging over them like a black cloud. Right, so if you go back even to when things really went bad for the books, Yanis' rookie season, the season that led to Jabari, I mean, if Larry uh, Sanders is a different guy and is the guy who isn't going to be in that place 18 months later, are you that bad? Do you get Jabari? Like, I just feel the Larry Sanders thing can go anywhere because he... I mean, he's really... He's DeAndre Jordan. Like, if, if he actually doesn't have any of that and he stays focused i don't see how he can't be that guy and um, maybe even more there's not a lot missing from that i wouldn't actually i wouldn't say deandre i would have i would probably say I, Andre I, this is this is going to say this is going to be crazy he's not unlike Thon. If you think if you take Thon if if you honestly just take out Thon's shooting ability and just make him a rim runner, you know, hyper aggressive uh Do we know what blocker. do we know what Thon is yet, really though? 
Well, I'm just saying the idealized version of Thon. Thon at like fifth. Yeah, I don't know. I see, guess that's, that's the idealized the version the of archetype of Thon. It's the idealized version of what we see Thon as now, but Thon could evolve to be something different. Mm-hmm. Like he's so early on KD in that process. Like player, <laughs> Kevin Duckworth, Jan Dillahim. I I don't know. Dari Sanders was just super tough for me. I just it's so strangely intertwined with every decision this franchise has made in the last four three years. years, four years. Yeah. Like before, before everything blew up, it was still, you know, if things go differently. Everything changes with that. I'm inclined to just go down metal with the pass on this. To take the Jordan Tresky answer. I think things are pretty good as they are. If I had to go for one of the others. I'd probably go Middleton's hamstring. The argument could be made that. Him being out has helped Yanis and Jabari. In forcing them to do something different. At the same time. Part of me wonders. With him there. And with all the work that a lot of these guys were vocal about and were visibly putting in over the summer, the sort of good spirit around the team. Could they have started the season better? Could it have been a nicer fit for everyone? Does a healthy Middleton make the team mesh more seamlessly that, say, Miles Plumley or Henson all of a sudden isn't the major issue in a starting lineup? We don't actually know that. That makes things very different as well. I'm inclined to go, don't meddle with the past, but... What this season could have been with Middleton is interesting. Mm-hmm. There's also a risk, though, that Yanis doesn't break out quite as he has and Jabari doesn't make his jump, too. Don't meddle the pet with the past. Own the future. From at Yahoo underscore Davis. Do you see the books going on a win streak and then placing Moose in the starting lineup after that? The win streak, I don't know, with that Rockets game is... Probably a little unlikely, but I guess the core sentiment of that question could a positive, like a real positive turn and run of play and say the defense improves, or I know, is there what what does it take? Is there a trigger or a path to put? I'd be more inclined to say if the books went on a losing streak, Moose ends up in the starting lineup. Yeah, I don't think something good happens, Henson sticks. Yeah, I don't. I I really don't think of Jason Kidd doing moves unless runs of success warranted them. You know. From uh, Yahoo underscore Davis again. Am I the only one who thinks Mirza has been disappointing this year? No. No, there's a lot of people. I don't know if. You're directing your question at two of them right now. You're not, really. But there's a lot of people. It's mm-hmm. definitely something that's out there. I'd, I'd just be curious as to what the expectation of Mirza was in that case. Mm-hmm. And I mean, not just Mirza, but then what did you expect from the books that it's that big a deal to you? Did you think of that personally, that Mirza's shooting 38% from three? I don't really know. Um... From Atmetastic, if the books could only re-sign one of their free agents this offseason, who do they prioritize? Oh, man. I think... I can tell you who I think it isn't. 
Beasley. don't think it's Michael Beasley. Yeah. Which is unfortunate, but I don't think that's the guy. Um. It's a that's a tough situation, or a tough. Do you go? Do they own up and just say, barring any moves? I mean, they can't move Plumlee, uh, and I don't think they'll. They haven't moved Henson before, and I, I still just think they'll hold tight with that. Um, I actually, you know, what? I'm gonna go with Snell because I think they really think that he, and I don't blame them. I think they really think that he can be. Just imagine him playing behind, beside, or behind Chris Middleton, or even having Chris Middleton play the three and having Tony Snell play the two, or whatever you want to call it. I think they. I honestly think that they would lean f- more on that because they know he can fit. Is Greg Monroe's season this year an outlier? It's it's kind of it's almost like a weird Jason Kidd question than what we were talking about before the season or even a couple weeks ago. Where which is the real Greg Monroe? Is this the real Greg Mon- Monroe or is last year the real Greg Monroe? Who are you gonna? What are you gonna trust more? Um, so I think they would probably th- and plus two. Tony Stiles is going to be far cheaper than Greg Monroe. Yeah, I, I think he's the more realistic guy, which will factor into prioritizing him. You don't want to have all your eggs in the Greg Monroe basket, and then he opts out. And, and that's a big basket, too. That's a lot of eggs. <laughs> he opts out a lot of demand and the price is out of your price range. Mm-hmm. And then you miss out on Tony Snell in the meantime. I don't think... Like, if they want to keep Tony Snell, they'll keep Tony Snell. They can do that. Um... Whether they can keep anyone else, that's the question. But I, I think Monroe is, I think they may well prioritize Tony Snell, but Monroe has the opportunity to be more influential to the future of this team in the next few years than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And as you hint at, and as we talked about, if not last week, the week before, we have to acknowledge there is a risk in that. There is a risk that this is the greatest contract year con ever. But con air, con year, con air. From what Matasic. So Yanis a starter. Why are the odds Jabari makes the reserves? I'd, I'd currently bet against it, but it's within play. If I don't feel he's going to get a coach's pick initially but we talked about this before even in terms of Yanis before we realized just how crazy everything has gone there will be injuries and there will be spots opened up for reserves Jabari would be logical they, they generally look to fill those with guys who've done well in voting he was ninth at the second count of votes he may be even higher now he's young he's exciting uh, who knows? He maybe he could be there anyway that weekend. Maybe Jabari could be in the dunk contest. Mm-hmm. That may just be very wishful thinking on my part because I'd really enjoy that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I would probably bet against it. I I just think there's two. You can make there's a lot of good forwards that are going to be slot ahead of him. Um, and I just don't... I, I, may, I think you might be right that barring injury or 
you know, someone, for whatever reason, someone backs out, he could be one of the first to come up or we can have that discussion as, oh, could Jabari join Giannis for All-Star Weekend? Who knows? But I would say no as for right now. Like, okay, so your starters, you're going to have LeBron, Giannis, and one of Love, or I think Embiid will get it with his final round of votes. It depends then on what players and media do. But I, I do, I think Embiid will get, it's only 16,000 votes between them going into this. I think Embiid will get that final Twitter push anyway. Um, but then that leaves uh, Jimmy Butler, Porzingis, Paul George, Paul George, Mello, Millsap. Tristan Thompson is 10th in front court votes. I think that's a bit crazy, but then... I think Millsap will probably get some love, too. Millsap will get coaches love. Millsap might make it with a coach's pick. I, th- I don't think Melo's, Melo's not going to make it this year. Melo's not in, but no. the fans, he's no. not going to make it. Um, You know, Paul George could be in trouble. Could. It's possible. No. Uh, Jimmy Butler is there. Uh, Porzingis will be there. Millsap has probably got a good case. Maybe Jabari's next behind them and he just needs... He's going to be within one or two injuries of getting in and that's within play. So it could happen, but I think there'll be there'll be that kind of need for a bit of luck on his side. Mm-hmm. From at jgoodian73, Greg Monroe seems to make a lot of trees in pre-game shoot-arounds. Any chances develops into a part of his game? No. It is always interesting when you're at a game and you watch shoot around how basically all guys can make trees. <laughs> There's, I, I, I've always found that to be sort of the moment where you're like, oh yeah, well these are professional basketball players, so sort of the idea of in an empty gym, unguarded, can anyone make a tree? <laughs> Pretty much if you're a pro NBA player. But there's a very big difference to doing it in the game. It's like it's like the way we're hearing that John Henson shoots very well in practice now. Yeah. From at Alex underscore Koenig 23. The books have been starting strong in the first quarter recently. Why can't they also start strong defensively? I think we touched on this at a few points, but it's nothing to do with starting strong. They're just struggling defensively now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... I... It's there's more to it than just first quarter defense. It's been like that all throughout as of late, unfortunately. From from Nick Huftel. Any chance that Sophia Minert can be convinced to carry a stool around with her to stand on during playing interviews? No. <laughs> um, I don't think it's gonna happen. She. She is probably in... I think most NBA sort of sideline reporters are pretty small. Relatively. I mean, they they tend to be normal human beings compared to NBA players. <laughs> um, maybe Sophie Minard is a little bit shorter on that sort of scale. Uh, Carrie is still around to stand on? No, that seems unlikely. Yeah. They're breaking expenses I'd, I'd rather like I don't know that we get like Tom Maker sitting down like a like a 
proper talk show style interview. You sitting on the bench. Well, that, that actually works. That was practical. I was trying to make. Thank you. I was trying to make a sort of humorous scene, but in a very strange turn of events. Let's go humorous. Come on. Jordan came out with a practical alternative. Last again from Alex, at Alex underscore Kings two two three. JLB, Johnny O'Brien, went four of six from deep in his in his past D League game. Is that the kind of lights out shooting the books need? I'll um, say I'll say yes, and they've got a guy named Mirt Teledovic who could come in and do just that, definitely better than Johnny O'Brien could. If we're gonna be impressed with Johnny O'Brien, which Johnny O'Brien. I think I speak for both of us. We're both happy that he's doing well in the D League. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. If Mirza Teledovic ever had cause to be in the D League, God knows what he might do. Mirza could go for one hundred in a D League game. I would soak it up. I would soak, like the great Sheryl Crow once sang. I would soak up the sun. If that would happen. That's it for us this week. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us on SoundCloud, Addison Stitcher. Check out all of our work on BehindTheBookPass.com We'll be back next week, if not sooner. And Jordan Tresky will have more... Cheryl Crow lyrics for you, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. The first cut is the deepest. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.